everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today we're going to be talking about the third book in the Iconoclast series by Mike Schell, Idols Fall. So let's betray the magic of books. Now, I'm going to try and keep this non-spoilery for a little bit. Um, I am back, thank you. I'm hoping my voice is doing much better so I can talk the whole time and we'll have a, a good discussion about Idols Fall. Now, this is the third book. As such, I think it is better than the second book by a wide margin, but I think it is worse than the first book, probably by a similar wide margin, because the first book, or the second book, excuse me, is a direct copy of the first book, and this book breaks off. It still follows the same kind of formula, but it is much different. So in a non-spoiler kind of way, I would like to say that I think that Mike Schell did a little bit better on characters in this situation. This is... It's not the first book. This is the second book where we're getting a split point of view, and I really enjoy one of the characters he chose for this point of view. It made it much better. I really like the split, and the, we aren't just with Agnes the whole way. I think his character work has improved. I felt like there are certain characters that really, they start developing a little more, and you start seeing more to them. On the other hand, I'm going to get into this a little later. I feel like there's characters that we bring along and we gather just to kill them. Just that we have to get six people in our party so that four of them can die. And I just don't like that. I, I feel like their deaths are meaningless because you know they're going to come because there's so many deaths in every book. Now, it is what it is. I do have to say that uh, on one hand... The atmosphere that Mike Shell can create, these this town, this world, this grimy, this dirty, kind of a depressing but not depressing feel is great. It's spectacular. He is able to really kind of evoke that world, and you can feel it. Now, I don't necessarily want to be there all the time, but that's part of it, is that it is like a kind of a darker and a grimmer world, and it, it, it works. It's shown. I like that part of it a lot. Um, his writing... Uh, I'm going to go just kind of through my uh, list of how I try and rate things with the, the compile system, which is uh, characters, atmosphere, writing, plot, you know, my investment in the story, um, the logic, which is kind of a weaker one, but it's just, you know, is it internally consistent? Uh, is there anything that was like, oh my gosh, this was so illogical, it just threw me out of the story, and then my enjoyment. So the writing was, was good. I can't say anything like stuck out to me about it. I just never felt like there was anything amazing about it but i wasn't noticing myself getting stuck on the writing or getting caught by poor word choices to say the least now and then we go to the plot it's a pretty simple plot it it does what it needs to do um as i said there's a split point of view and there are two plots going they're about the same in terms of uh weight and what you might expect to have happen so not crazy they the plot is important but it's kind of just that MacGuffin plot oh we got to go here and do this and they go there and they experience trials and they overcome and then they succeed so not not bad though my investment my investment in this book uh, it was really tough to get really excited uh, for parts of it there the I will, I will spoil who the point of view is here. Alanda is the second point of view. I really enjoyed watching her scenes and reading about her things. I wish she had been able to show more or do more or be more clever because she was so clever in the first two books. And this one, I feel like it dulled down her cleverness a little bit that she was not able to manipulate or trick people as well. And I kind of wish that had been 
she'd been able to do that more. Whereas with Agnes and the rest of her crew, I had a low excitement until like 75 to 80% of the way through the book. And then I was into it and I was ready to go and things were exciting and happening. Now, logic, this is a weird one and I, I can't really get into it yet. But there were some inconsistencies that I felt like were there that were never addressed. And then I was very confused and perplexed. And they didn't, they're not the mysteries that enhance the story. These are the mysteries that hinder the story. That, wait a minute, why did this work if this is what happened? And what is this? And who is that? And maybe one of them could have enhanced the story if it had been like the only real mystery, but it, it didn't. So now my enjoyment is is uh you know it's a three out of five book it was good uh if i wasn't reviewing it i probably would like it a little bit more but trying to review it and feel it and i just did not connect with the third book as i said it is different but it is very similar to the first two books so i kind of just feel like i'm all iconoclasted out now eh, it's not bad so it's uh fine Let's see yeah this is a 686 page book and i read it on my phone so I just don't necessarily know the pages off the top of my head and I really just feel like this was too long it just went on and on now at least this book has a title that does match with the story the idols are falling so I like that now we're going to get into the um, we're going to get into the spoiler section here so if you haven't read it if you're not going to read it you know you don't have you can listen just know that from here on out, we'll be talking about exactly kind of what is happening in the book. Now, obviously, from the beginning, we know, or from the end of the second book, we know that their main quest is going to be to take down the other gods, to kill Belu and Vanek, the rest of the gods that the people worship. So that is our quest for Agnes, and she is going to gather, she gathers a group of people with her. She grabs a girl named Bila, who is a part of, who is a new, like, fresh recruit, not all the way trained in the Cyriac League. We have Arla, um, a, uh, a master Cyriac explorer, adventurer. She's well-renowned, has lots of experience. We get Maestro, who we pick him up on a ship on the way over there because of the sword. Then I've got some issues with the sword. Like, mm-mm. But he, we grab Maestro. We have a man named Hesk. We bring, let's see, Hesk. We bring Syrah again. Always good to have a healer, even if she doesn't believe and won't heal you. I, I love Sira. She's still the, one of the best characters. We get Lumari again, the alchemist, and we get Quilb, the sorcerer. Now, Quilb, having lost his eyes in the last one, he is using the same technique that the guards use with a blindfold and some dark magic so we can actually kind of see. I like it. Now, unfortunately, I felt like we grabbed half these people just to get them killed because they die. And I was very confused as to why we even brought them or what happened and why the sword. And of course, oh, here's another one. Raymond, her ex-lover from the Temple of Belu. The sword prompts him to commit suicide so that Agnes will fulfill her duty. And it's like, sword, or I don't remember his name, Svazda Shashala, or the Ushul. I'm going to call him sword because that's what it is. Like, Raymond was going to get off the boat and go back. And then Agnes wouldn't, like, Agnes wasn't going to go back with him. He wasn't going to convince her. Like, why would you make him commit suicide? Now, I know that the Ushul and the Beshul gained power from human suffering. Was the sword not powerful enough after killing a major god that it needed more power? 
I mean, it kills Bellow. I mean, it killed Timulus. One of the more powerful ones, because of human folly is everywhere. Like, or did it just like suffering? And I kind of lean towards the just like suffering. Now, there were a lot of deaths that I was just like, okay, like, if you want to succeed, it's better to have more people than just kill off all your party mates. Like, Arla. The sword is silent. She pushes on a door to open it up. She it tips her over, slams her against the ceiling, and crushes her, you know, pulverizes her. And it's like, wow, what a pointless, like, less invested death I could ever have for anyone in this book series. Like, I liked Darla. I didn't think she was perfect, of course, but, like, she's just being a leak explorer. Like, I want to be safe. Let's do this. Nope, we're going to get her killed. The sword murders Bella, Bela by forcing Agnes to stab through Bela into Vanek, the war god. And it's like, eh, what? Like... I, and I had issues with that anyway. Like, Bila knows that she's up there fighting a god. She knows that the sword, they've said multiple times, the sword is the only thing that can kill the gods because they have power. So why did she run up and stab him? She didn't block an attack against Agnes. She just ran up and stabbed him when she saw an opening. And maybe it was just the battle fever, but, like, you got to be thinking... Like, okay, the sword is the only thing that can hurt him. Maybe if I tackled him and she got a good shot off with the sword. No, I'm just going to stab him with my sword and get caught. And So I just, I really didn't like that we spent so much time gathering characters just to kill them. Because I don't, eh, why? Just go with three or four people and have one death. And then that one death will feel even better. And, of course, we have to follow our tradition. The sorcerer cannot Meet a true sorcerer. Quilp is banished to the past because we go to the past. He's the one who broke the orb. I'm pretty sure. I just they never. The sorcerers never get to make it to the end. So I was, I was like, Quilp, you're out. I'm sorry. Like I know it's coming for you, but you're gonna be gone now. Maestro, who his father went on a league ex- expedition to the same place. I'm, I'm Alesh where the gods live, you know, and I'm sure they've been telling him and they showed him all these things. They saw that the world creeps with your mind and tricks you and betrays you. And there's all sorts of sorcery. So why would he saw a picture, like a person looking like his father? Was he like, dad, you're alive. It's been so many years. And the guy's like, yes, I'm your father. I love you. I'm so sorry. Like, come on. Like, out, and if it was just the sword, like, not protecting him and, like, trying to force him out onto him, it's like, still, Maestro was, like, 100% dedicated to your quest. He wanted to kill the gods. So does the sword really just want him to die? Or, you know, what's going on? And so, of course, Maestro dies. And I was like, well, you know, there goes, like, the one character I really care about now. He's dead. So now we'll get to some other stuff. We'll get to the end in a little bit. I did like the past where Timulus creates a spell that sends them to the past before he died in the present. Uh, that was just, it was a kind of an interesting scene to see them go back to the past and then meet Timulus. And Timulus is like, hey, hey I want to see who was going to kill me. And now I know, but I don't know because, you know, I don't want you to tell me. It's kind of like surprise stuff. I enjoyed it. I like that. Um, but there's one more. Sorry, it's a lot of these logical inconsistencies for me. You know, the first two books, we don't really talk about devils and demons. We have the Zhao, and we have the barbarians to the other side. And now all of a sudden, we have demons and devils, and they have to have an exorcism. And I was like, what? When did they... What? Like, these demons were not 
in the book earlier, like they were all the Zhao things, and now this is not the Zhao, the Zhao. This is the barbarians. They have a demon, and now we have devils. And suddenly, in this book, everybody and everything knows about the great spirit of creation or the true spirit of creation. And it's like, well, that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, what's up with that? Now, I don't necessarily like Banesh Ushul, the one who was in the little boy who was in the the main. Ushul in the second book, but I feel like he was one of the better Beshul or Ushul, the betrayers, where he was like truly repentant because he did his best and he did give up his life on purpose. I liked that. So, um, as we're going to move to Alanda for a second, I loved the scenes with Alanda that she has her spy master and she has her, her maids and stuff and they're listening and they're finding things out and then somebody doesn't want to accept her as queen and she has to fight them and they have to get around the, you can't attack the queen with magic. Well, we don't recognize you as the queen yet. And I liked all these things. These were good parts. However, I felt like she didn't really get to play to her strengths. She had to play to, just to not her strengths. She had to be up front with everybody. She was not able to kind of manipulate or show her trickiness or how smart she truly is. And I really wish that she had been able to show that. Now, there was one thing in the main city there is the burning. What is the burning? It is a little girl who was a spy for Alanda's spy master, and now she has the power of fire and can burn people of their sins and, or just burn them, and she can heal them. And I just was like, where did this burning come from? And she accepts it, and she's like, okay, I'll submit to your burning, and Alanda doesn't burn because she truly wants to help the people. And, and then she's like, okay, well, since you're on my side, I will be on your side and I'll go attack your enemies. And so she sends her off to the people who are against her and she braces in and she's like, are you ready to like repent and burn for your crimes? And it's like, this just came out of nowhere. I, I just did not have a good connect with the demons and the devils and the, and the, the burning. It's like a secondary magic source. All of the sudden, because Timulus is dead or something, but I just, I don't get it. Now, again, like I said, the characters were improved, but again, some characters were brought in strictly so they could die. Not my favorite. Now, this, I did like at the end, where is the compromise, where Belu is the last god, and she's like, if you kill me, you kill all magic, because I went around myself so tightly with the magic that it can never, if I die, it's going to go out, and you're going to lose access to it completely. And so... Agnes gets around this by taking her sword, the magic sword, Svazda Shashala, and stabbing Belu with it. But instead of killing her, she traps her so that Belu can't influence or do anything with the world. And the sword does not get what he wants, which is for Belu to be destroyed. And so I like that, that they still get access to their magic, at least the healing magic. But they know that Belu is not getting any stronger and that the sword is not going to get out and they've basically created a status quo lock now this is the last one of the last things that just kind of bothered me was they needed the sword to get in because of all the enchantments and the magic that's been laid on it over the centuries and that they have to have refreshed every so often which is why they have why Vanek is there kind of guarding it is because he was refreshing the seals or the magic right so if you were, if the magic lasts on its own for hundreds of thousands of years or whatever then when they leave without the sword that protects them from the illusions, shouldn't they fall prey to the illusions and then be caught and killed 
and you know destroyed. No, they just get out. It's like half a page. It's like a paragraph. So they left and they followed their way out and they got out. And I was like, what? That's it? Like, what about the sword and the enchantments? Like, we know that enchantments exist after a sorcerer's death. Like, Lenda's, Lenda Hathspree's head, still alive at the very end of the book. How is it still alive? Timulus said he did it and he's dead. All the other gods are dead. So, except for Bellu, pretty sure it wasn't Bellu who did that, though, because... Timulus even said it was this other god who you guys woke up and who killed you. So I just, I was like, well, where is this magic coming from? Like, is Linda's head, Hathspray's head, like, super magical? I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I liked, uh, excuse me, let me take another step back here a little bit. The sword and Agnes, I liked that. The sword is all about the ends. The ends are, we're going to destroy the Zhao. There's going to be no more sorcerers. Humanity can make their own will, but it's really, I want my revenge. And Agnes is like, well, the you know, Agnes is kind of representing the means. Do I want to murder everybody to get my goal? Do I, I don't want to. I want to live. I want to have a life. I want to do things. Like, what does it mean to unmake the world? Which is kind of what the sword has said sometimes. Just, I like that part of it. That that theme was good. I like the sword's compulsion growing stronger and stronger until the very end when she's able to stop it and kill, you know, and... and nearly kill Bellu, and lock the sword away. Now, the sword, the Zhao sorcerer and the sword being married to Bellu, I really did not see, and that was a twist. And I think I'm going to start wrapping this up. About the last thing I really enjoyed about this book was that near the end, Alanda's sword is also an Usul, which apparently after the first book, these the Usul are just like candy. They pop out of everywhere. But her sword is an Usul, and her sword is like, yes, we're going to go do this. And I'll take you this. And, you know, I look at the long, long picture. So I'm going to take a 10,000 year view. Like you trust me, pass me down, will reign forever. And it's like, wow, this Ushul is really just about control and domination and wants to rule even as this, you know, sword. And I love that Alanda is smart enough to figure that out and like lock it away. I just, it, it was a little short. It was the only thing that I really, really liked seeing Alanda do. I like her do other things, of course. But this was like the most impressive thing that really showed off her smarts to me, that she recognized the sword was tricking her and that she was able to give it up. So I liked that. But, you know, that's going to wrap up my discussion for Idol's Fall by Mike Shell, the third book of the Iconoclast. Didn't love it. It was a fine book. Three stars, maybe two and, you know, four fifths of a star. So thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to LibromancyPod at gmail.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at LibromancyPod. And, you know, please like and subscribe, of course, wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave a review. And remember to betray the magic of books. Mm-hmm.